All right. Well, for those of you who are in here, we're going to begin sort of a mini-series on a topic that I know you all have a viewpoint about. Some of you have well-thought-out viewpoints. Others of you, well, it's kind of haphazard. But its impact is huge. And let me illustrate this with uh, a picture. How many of you see a young lady looking away from you? How many of you see an old haggard lady with a big nose? Not many of you. Yeah. It's the old lady with the big nose. See if I can get this to work. Ah, there we go. See, that's her eye right there, and that's her nose right there, and that's her mouth down there. That's the old lady. The young lady is looking away from us. That's her nose there, and like her eyelashes, and this is an ear, and this is like her jawbone here. You know, what you see is how you react. If you see a, you know, the, the young woman looking away, you think, oh, that's a nice picture. If you see the old lady with the big nose, you're thinking, oh, my soul, we need to pray for her. <laughs> see, how you view things is how you react to things. And that's why your worldview is so important. Your worldview is so important. And the next few weeks, we'll be talking about developing a biblical worldview. Most definitions of worldview start here. A worldview is a set of beliefs, a system of assumptions and values. Now, people's thoughts tend to develop into patterns, develop into systems. Maybe you don't realize it, but every day you are affected and influenced by the worldviews of other people, by the people that are around you, the worldview of your friends, the people that you work with, parents, the media, influencers, teachers, mentors. They all have influence in your life, and sometimes you're not even aware of that influence. But our worldview determines our happiness, determines our success in life, determines how you feel about life. It determines your peace of mind, determines your stress level, your confidence level. And all that comes from your worldview. My worldview includes my thoughts about life, about how I view death and the death of loved ones. My worldview includes thoughts of what happened to me in the past, about what's going to happen to me in the future, about pain and suffering. My worldview has thoughts on what is good and what is evil. My worldview affects my relationships with people and about how I spend my time and money. 
fact, you know what? Your worldview affects everything about you every day. And everyone responds to life through their worldview. That is why developing a worldview is so vitally important. So that your life is built on what is real and true. And besides that, it's commanded to have a biblical worldview. Romans 12. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice so that we can serve God, your physical body in service, as we saw with the MDS video. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Here we go. Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. See here, it commands that we are to have a biblical worldview. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, we're not talking about plaids or polka dots or stripes, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. By the way, do you know why Waldo wears stripes? Because he doesn't want to be spotted. <laughs> Don't be conformed to the pattern of... You finally getting that, Jesse? Okay, good. <laughs> Jesse's like, Steve, that was so sad, really. <laughs> Steve, come on, Steve. <laughs> the pattern that he's talking about here is our pattern of thinking. Don't fall into the pattern of thinking that this world has. Because when we trust Christ as our Savior from our sins, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us and renews our mind. He wants to renew our mind. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? That's where the Holy Spirit dwells and lives. Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Titus 3, verse 5. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Again, you have the idea of renewal there because of the Holy Spirit within us. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And you can see from these verses that 
that we can be renewed in our thinking. We don't have to follow the thinking of this world. We can be renewed because of the Holy Spirit within us. Waterway Church exists to help you know the will of God. You're like, well, what do you mean know the will of God? You can't tell me uh, that most of your life we can tell you what to do because it's found in the Bible. Waterway Church exists to help you know the will of God, to help you to develop a biblical worldview. In fact, John, I'm going to take the verse that you talked about this morning in Sunday school um, from Colossians. If I, if I can find Colossians. Thank you. You gave me permission to do that. Because you know what? I, as, as we were reading this this morning, it's like, oh, good grief. That's why Waterway Church exists here it is. Here's why Waterway Church exists. Um, it's Colossians chapter 1, the last uh, two verses, where, uh, as John was explaining this morning in Sunday school, he said that this was Paul's ministry. Paul kind of summed up, hey, this is what I do. This is why I do what I do. And Paul says this, he, Jesus, is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So that we, the Apostle Paul and those who are teaching, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. That's the goal of Waterway Church. To help people become more like Jesus. To be mature in their faith, in their beliefs. That's the goal. That's why Waterway Church exists. It's to help you become more like Jesus, to be mature in your faith. And we as a church unapologetically stand on the truth of God's word. Do you believe that? Do you agree with that? Man, I hope so. I hope so, because that's what we do. We believe in the Bible. Second Peter 1.21 says this, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We believe that God inspired men to write the Bible. We have God's word. And we know that the Bible is reliable. Think about this with me. When, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about Jesus, wrote about their experiences with Jesus, they wrote during a time when the people around them also had those same experiences. They were still alive. So, you know, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about, oh, you know, we went to this wedding in Cana, and, you know, they ran out of wine, and, and Jesus turned, there were people there. They realized what happened. So as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing things about Jesus, and you know, these are the events of Jesus, this is what happened, and all this, there were other people who also witnessed those things. And you know what? They didn't say, well, Matthew, you were wrong here. 
this was not true. This, well, you know, I was there when, you know, there was thousands of us fed, and I don't remember, that didn't happen. No, you know what, they said, well, yeah, yeah, that happened. You know, my cousin was there at that, and, you know, that, that, that's what he said. The, the people, when, Jesus, when, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote about Jesus, the rest of the people corroborated with what they wrote and said, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that was true. That's right, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. Or, you know, my cousin was there, or my uncle was there, or my dad was, you know. Yeah, that's right, it, that's true. That's why we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John today, because it's true. Because if it wasn't true, they would have been thrown away. That's, that's false, <laughs> that, that didn't happen, that's not right. We have those documents today because there were other people who were alive when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote that said, yeah, that's right, that, that's exactly what happened. So there were people who witnessed the same things that they wrote about, that the gospel writers wrote about, and said, yeah, that's exactly right. That's how we know we can trust the Bible. Besides the fact that it came from God, because that's what Peter said. You know, I almost wanted to stop and sing the B-I-B-L-E this morning, you know. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. You guys aren't into singing that, huh? Okay, I got you. All right. And, you know, we, a, a couple of weeks ago, many of you heard Hugh Ross speak. And um, I, I had the opportunity to have lunch with him. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. Just some of the stuff that he was sharing around the lunch table. Um, I can't even begin to explain it to you, so we won't go there. But, you know, as, as he was just talking about creation and the existence of God and just pointing out all these little details that I had no idea existed, you know, it was just like, whoa, you know, here's a guy so incredibly smart, incredibly knowledgeable, and yet he's saying, well, there has to be a God because the universe is so complex, it just couldn't have just happened. And he said, and then not only do you have the universe that is so complex, he said, you as a person are so complex and that everything is all put together. I mean, could you imagine if you evolved and your, your digestive system evolved, but yet your respiratory system did evolve at the same time, at the same rate? You know, we could eat, but we can't breathe. <laughs> That'd be kind of tough. But you see, he was saying that everything all the complexities of the universe, all the complexities of people, it can't just happen. There is no way it could happen, even after billions and billions and billions and billions of years. It just couldn't happen. It's absolutely impossible. So he was saying, yeah, of course there's a God. Any stupid person, you know, realize that, that, oh, wow, yeah. That's why we stand on the Bible. That's why we believe what the Bible 
says. But you know, if you don't believe that, just think where that leads you. If you don't believe that there is a God, if you don't believe that the Bible's true, where, where does that leave you? Well, Brandon, you're just a mistake. You know what, buddy? That's all you are. You're just a collection of cells. You are nothing. You are worthless because you're just a freak of nature. There you go. That's where you have to end up if you do not believe that there is a God. Now, of course, Brandon is not a freak of nature, although his parents might think that at times, but you know. He is created by God in his image. He is given worth. He is given value. He's even given a job to do here on earth. And he's also loved by God. Just like we all are. So having a biblical worldview is so important. And you know, many times people talk about, you know, well, you know, you got to have faith. You got to have all this faith. Well, you know what? Yeah, we have to have faith, but we also have fact to back up our faith. That's why we can develop a biblical worldview from the Bible. Another reason why we can believe the Bible is because of Jesus Christ. And when you take a look at the facts of Jesus, it's kind of hard to dismiss that, you know, he never existed, that he never did anything or said anything. You know, you can choose not to believe the facts, which people do, but you can't just rationally dismiss that there isn't a Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and he said this, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. They were they were creating a biblical worldview. By this gospel, you are saved. For what, I pass, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. You know, Paul was saying here, you know, I, I'm, I preached Jesus. And, you know, this is what Jesus did. He, he lived, he was crucified, he died, and he rose again the third day. And, you know, he appeared to all these people. And, and then he goes on to say, 
and he appeared to more than 500 people at once. And you know what? Most of those are still alive. So Paul was saying, fact check me. If you don't believe what I'm saying, fact check me about Jesus. Because there are hundreds of people who are still alive when he wrote this to the Corinthians. So he's like, fact check me. So you know that what I am saying is absolutely true. Paul wasn't afraid to say that because he knew what he was writing was true. He says, if you don't want to take my word for it, you can talk to the hundreds of people who also saw Jesus, and they can tell you as well. Colossians 2, 6 to 8 says this. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse eight, listen to this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. I mean, that's where the world's coming from, folks. They, they put this idea of how to live out there and it's taking captive a lot of people. Taking captive a lot of young people, too. You know what, young people? Times change. We have all seen that. But the word of God never changes. All right? The truth of the word of God does not change. Even though we live in times that change dramatically, the truth of the Bible does not change. And there are people that are going to tell you, oh, yeah, it does. Things change. Things change. Because now there's this idea of pragmatism where whatever works for you, you know, whatever works for you is fine. That's, that's you. And if it works for you, it's cool. It's cool. And you can't tell somebody that, you know, what they think or what they believe is wrong anymore. Because, hey, it works for me. It works for me. It's all good. So we can each decide on our own morality then, huh? Because that works for me. So, Chad, if I want to come to your house and take all of your chocolate, it's okay because that works for me. You're good with that. Okay, I'll be over. You know, when you think about that, when you, when you think through the, their philosophy and what that leads to, <laughs> have, you, have you ever tried to play a game with a three-year-old that keeps changing the rules? Seriously. I mean, I'm playing shoots and ladders with some of my grandkids, and, you know, they do something. It's like, you can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. No, you can't. You can't skip rows and shoots and ladders. That's not how the game is played. 
But yet, you know what, folks? If it works for you, it's okay. It's okay. No, it's not. It would be total chaos. Why do you think we have rules for sports games? It'd be total chaos. I was a PIAA soccer ref for about six years. I thought, hey, why pay to go to a gym when they would pay me to run? You know, it's like, this is great. And I tell you what, man, I love the power I had with that yellow card and that red card because it was my job to enforce the rules, to make sure that it was fair for everybody. It would be total chaos. But yet, hey, we live by, hey, if it works for you, that's okay. Uh Uh-uh. Or if it feels good, just do it. You know, that's okay. How many of you older folks remember the song from the 70s, You Light Up My Life? Remember that song? It can't be so wrong if it feels so right. All right, let's think about that, how that works. You could justify anything then. So... I could just come and slap you. And it feels good to me. I don't think you'd like that, would you? Nah, I didn't think so. But think about if you would follow the philosophies of this world, you could get away with that. Or I'm in charge, I'm the center of the universe, the whole idea of humanism. I was on a school board in Lancaster County for two terms, and I was required to go to high school graduations. And so I've been to my fair share of high school graduations. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this William Ernest Henley poem, Invictus. The last two lines go like this. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I would love to talk to those people now and ask them, well, how has that worked out for you? Because I can guarantee you it hasn't worked out for them because they are not the captain of their soul. They are not the master of their own fate. Do you see how ridiculous some of these philosophies are? Closely related to humanism is individualism, where there is nobody more important than me. I tried to convince my wife of that, but that hasn't worked. Because she thinks she's the most important person. (laughs) No, not really. But you know, again, think about how that works. If you were the most important person in the universe, well, what about, can this person be the most important? And and how, it doesn't work. All of these worldviews have one thing in common. It's all about me. It's all about me as a person. It's all about you as a person. Everything centers around me and what I think and what I believe. 
A number of years ago, Campus Crusade for Christ came up with an illustration of a throne with an S on it. And that S is yourself sitting on the throne. You are the captain of your soul. You are the master of, the, of your fate. You are the center around which everything goes. And that's the world's philosophy. That is where the world is at, because everything centers around me. And as a Christian, God is asking us to take ourself off the throne and put Christ there. That's where our biblical worldview comes, where we have Christ on the throne of our life. Let me ask you. I'm sure most of you here today are Christians. You have trusted in Christ as your savior. But is Christ on the throne of your life? Does your life revolve around Christ on the throne and not self on the throne? Because I, I know, I know that as a Christian, you could still have self on the throne. But I want you to think about today. Is Christ on the throne of your life? Because that's where our biblical worldview comes from. That's how we look at the things that happen to us. That's how we respond to what life throws our way. I hope that you have put Christ on the throne of your life. Because it'll change your life from a life of selfishness, even as a Christian, to a life of Becoming more like Jesus. Is Christ on the center of your throne? I hope so. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word.